From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to this live broadcast. We're in hour number two here. This is TNT Today's News Talk. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. For these two hours, we're in the second hour segment right now. Great uh, discussions uh, before the break with our guests, uh, Sam Husseini, a great journalist from the United States, and also Basil Valentine, weighing in on a couple of key stories. Uh, there's more breaking news that I want to sort of add to that, just to round out that story uh, with regarding the genocide convention. This is an interesting footnote here. We're talking about some of these other countries like London, like uh, the UK, London, Rishi Sunak uh, in the EU, Germany, all going basically the wrong way on this issue. Still in denial, I guess, that uh, anything's happened. You have to remember, folks, and this is an important thing. I try to drive this home. Of course, you listen to this show. You watch this program. You're tuning into TNT. You're tuning into uh, 21st Century Wire. You're reading the gray zone or whatever. Of course, you're going to be well-informed. Of course, you're going to know what's going on. Okay, But you have to remember, especially when you're in the Anglosphere or the Five Eyes Nation uh, enclave, the, the people in parliament don't read or listen to these programs, okay? They're literally glued to the mainstream media. They read Wikipedia. They, 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 they wait for CNN and the BBC and see what they're saying. And that's what they go by. That's how they construct their reality. So their statements are going to correspond. Their views are going to correspond with the quality of the information that they're consuming on a day-to-day business, uh, a day-to-day basis. So that's your MPs, those are your congressmen, those are your senators. That's your president. That's your prime minister. That's your prime minister. So when they're making statements, they're, those that's reflecting their knowledge or their understanding of of said issue. And in America, they don't even watch the media. They say they tell their staff or their aide, "Oh, what is IPAC or the other J Street or K Street?" lobbies like have them send us the bullet points what do we need to know about this issue that's that's how it's done or call that think tank what do they need what do we need to know about that issue then they get their talking points sent they don't sit down study any of this they don't know what's going on so hence their views their policies are going to be informed by fake news and mainstream propaganda they're like a chicken marinated in their own propaganda and mainstream propaganda they're like a chicken marinated in their own propaganda so look at this uh, max blumenthal uh tweeted here uh, the uk government filled uh de- filed a detailed legal arguments to the international courts of justice previously to support claims that myanmar has committed genocide against the rohingya but refuses to support South Africa doing the same against Israel, which has slaughtered 4% of Gaza's population in three months. Okay, that's Max Blumenthal. I can argue about that 4%. Oh, maybe it's 3%. Who cares? We're talking about uh, upwards of 30,000 dead, innocent, unarmed civilians and over 15,000 children. Okay, 
So who cares uh, on the exact numbers? Uh, they're high enough. They're high enough. So Max Blumenthal there at the gray zone doing great work, of course, makes a very important point is that there is no consistency in how these countries are raising their righteous indignation over things that they're seeing happening around the world. In other words, if it suits a UK or US policy, they will condemn it. They will campaign. They'll raise the genocide alarm. They'll raise the you know alarm about uh, terrorism or whatnot. Okay, for if it's for the Rohingya, because why? Because Myanmar is a very important country in China's Belt and Road Initiative. Very important. Myanmar's port would be essential uh, for China to bypass one of the most uh, vulnerable waterways in the world uh, going by Indonesia and past Singapore that can easily be shut down. That whole piece of waterway there uh, from the South China Sea uh, hooking around uh, the peninsula with Vietnam, Cambodia, and then uh, Singapore, Thailand, etc. That's a very busy waterway in terms of shipping. China can bypass a lot of this by enrolling Myanmar, formerly called Burma, British possession, into the Belt and Road Initiative with a, a deep water port somewhere there in Myanmar and then overland transport goods and services from China effectively causing an economic boom in Myanmar. That's what it would mean for that country. So the West wants regime change. They want to boot out the government in charge there because they want to say, oh, they're guilty of uh, crime, human rights violations, etc. And now they're saying genocide. Is it genocide? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've looked at the Rohingya case. It's not very convincing. Uh, not It's nothing near on the scale of what we're witnessing now uh, in Gaza, as an example. And they're not alone. The UK is not alone. And so uh, the other one is the Uyghurs in China. There's this uh, uh, campaign to say that China is, has genocided a million Uyghurs or there's a million Uyghurs in concentration camps. Not true. Okay, there there are other problems, uh, including a terrorism problem in uh, western China in Xinjiang province, and the Uyghurs have been exported with Western intelligence agencies on a rat line into Syria during the Syrian Dirty War. Tens of thousands of hardcore Uyghur fighters who make up some of the top units in ISIS, Al Nusra, and other terrorist groups uh, that were running amok in Syria. In fact, many of them have settled there. They're still there in Idlib. A lot of people aren't talking about that. So China has a uh, problem because there's a secessionist movement in Xinjiang. So they're within their right to deal with that. However, they see fit as a sovereign nation. Some people might disagree. But if there was a secessionist movement in the United States, how would the federal government handle it? Do you think they'd be uh, coming out with flowers and chocolates? Or would they be putting it down with full force? Uh, and probably, you know, trying to deal with the issue at its root. Uh, probably the latter. Probably the latter. And most countries are kind of the same on that. Especially if there's foreign-backed, subterfuge, clandestine programs like the CIA working with some of these uh, terrorist groups in uh, Xinjiang. If that's if that's the case, if that can be shown, if Chinese government or intelligence is aware of that, then obviously they know this is a foreign-induced issue. 
So we're just saying, keep an eye on that. That's how that stuff goes. That's no surprise there. So a report was released by the Mansur al-Hadi faction of the pro-Saudi Yemeni government. Literally, Saudi and the U.S. have set up a Juan Guaido-style government in Yemen. Although, at least this is slightly more, they've got a bit, they've done a bit better than Juan Guaido. They managed to snatch uh, the bottom half of the country, which is now uh, being contested. And the, the, they're opposing what they call the Houthis, a.k.a. Ansar Allah, that's the many regard as the legitimate government in Sana'a, has reaffirmed that North Korea continues to arm the Houthi government sitting in Sana'a. And the report notes that DPRK supplies Yemen with anti-ship and ballistic missiles from North Korea, as well as artillery shells and components uh, for the needs of the Air Force and Air Defense. So that's the that's the report. It's coming out, being issued by Mansur Hadi Wan Guaido in southern Yemen, or his his crowd, and uh, not legitimate at all. Uh, Hadi is a U.S. puppet, uh, claiming he's the leader of Yemen. So there you go. That was the reason for that war. Anyway, North Korea is the new boogeyman, and it doesn't end there. You're also seeing at the same time we see these accusations, America is alleging that North Korea is sending missile tech and components for ballistic missiles that are being used by Russia against Ukraine. This is all happening at the same time, literally at the same time. So they're, they're, they're saying this and, you know, <laughs> what did they expect? What did they expect? They sanctioned Russia to the ends of the earth. They sanctioned North Korea to the ends of the earth. So two sanctioned nations, what are they going to do? What do you think? Do you think they're not going to work with each other? Not going to trade with each other? They share, they practically share a border, effectively anyway, for all intents and purposes. They're very close in proximity. Are they not going to assist each other, to help each other, to supply each other with things that each other needs that both are under sanctions? The best way to prevent this, if you're concerned about it from the West, is not to sanction Russia. But, of course, that's not on the table. So what they expect? So they're starting to float this, and this, in a way, this is somewhat positive in my book because it means the U.S. is trying to create a new focus, which is North Korea. It's bad if it's part of a multi-front war strategy, okay? Good if it's to take the activity away from Ukraine and the Middle East and focus on Asia for a while in w where they're going to get absolutely nowhere, the United States, but at least it will keep the media attention away because the media will do what they're told. If Washington or Pentagon or whatever, they say, start talking about North Korea, they'll start talking about that. They'll get hit pieces. They'll get defectors on. Oh, Kim strapped me to an anti-aircraft missile or strapped my, my uncle to an anti-aircraft missile, filled up the soccer stadium, started firing missiles off with dissidents strapped to the missiles. Those types of stories. Yeah, like literally James Bond, Dr. No type stuff. So like that's if you start seeing that stuff being drummed up by the Washington Post, they have a very entertaining archive with some of these stories, by the way. Uh, in the New York Times and uh, the usual suspects, Time Magazine and others, then you know that uh, they're trying to shift the focus away because uh, they've neglected uh, North Korea, haven't they, in the uh, Axis of Evil Chronicles. So maybe they want to drum that up again to take the focus away from two debacles, one in Ukraine, 
one in uh, Gaza. So we'll see. We'll see. Let's take a break right now with TNT Today's News Talk. When we come back, we're going to connect with an excellent guest. I'm looking forward to speaking to Mark Crispin Miller about some very important topics regarding the U.S. 2024 election, past elections, and also just the pervasiveness of propaganda in the mainstream media ecosphere. All this and more on the other side. Stay right there. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it, pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. To, I bet you more than fifty percent didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. since since well under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to. Uh, that part of the world these people are have been after israel forever and and uh, supported by iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them uh, you know basically uh create chaos in the middle east terrorism and and we saw what happened earlier this year about a month ago uh, the two one attack in israel and the death and destruction rape and kidnapping more than 240 people kidnapped joe hoft on today's news talk radio tnt the Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not far-right, just right so far thelightpaper.co.uk Plug in Website TNTradio.live Check it out Today's News Talk Radio It's the coolest TNT Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen. We're in hour number two of this live broadcast. We're going to pivot a little bit over to U.S. politics. We're going to go over the Atlantic back to the United States here. And I want to welcome onto the program an uh, amazing guest, uh, someone who we haven't spoke to, I don't think, on this program, but I've spoke to on other programs. Mark Crispin Miller is joining us right now on the live broadcast uh, thank you for joining us mark and uh we'll we'll talk about um your work as well but uh really appreciate you joining us on tnt today well thank you patrick for having me it's always a pleasure and uh mark's work uh ladies and gentlemen he's done some incredible work over the years on a lot of important stories uh most recently really just dismantling the uh propaganda complex uh, surrounding uh, the global pandemic over the last couple of years, uh, the vaccine issue, war propaganda, uh, works with an incredible cohort, uh, including Piers Robinson, who we've talked to before, Mark. But Mark, the thing that you've worked on in the past, which is becoming increasingly relevant this year, of course, is election uh, integrity, that issue, election interference, election fraud. Uh, you wrote a book, fooled again how the right stole the 2004 election why they'll steal the next one too uh, what are we looking at in the 2024 election but uh, go ahead mark yeah um well let me uh give you the prequel to my work on election integrity just to demonstrate that i've been deeply concerned uh for about american democracy for for decades because in the 90s uh, before I discovered 
just how corrupt the American voting system is, uh, I was becoming increasingly alarmed by the intensifying concentration of the corporate media uh, as ever fewer multinational entities were uh, controlling uh, or responsible for some 90% of what we now call the content that we all soak up. And, and it was precisely because of the threat that this posed and poses to, to democracy that I spent years, uh, you know, I, I uh, spoke to the uh, people at the Department of Justice, uh, I published widely, I had some friends in this very tiny movement who were concerned about this issue. But clearly, we, we failed to make any difference because that process just continued so that now we have uh, a media system that's essentially a cartel and at the same time an echo chamber uh, for the state. Because as the media has become increasingly concentrated structurally, its relationship with the state has also tightened um, so that the situation we're in now is is not that different from uh, the situation with the media you know in the 30s in germany uh even though the control by the state is more inexplicit uh, here uh we, we actually now have a global uh, sort of media cartel it isn't just national any longer at any rate, let me move on from that phase of my history to address the point you just raised that I, I found in 2000 um, that um, votes were often cast electronically and ever more so, and that they were almost all counted electronically, which is even more alarming. Because if you don't have an, an open vote count, uh, a manual count of paper ballots, a manual count that can be observed by representatives of all sides, you, you, you really don't have a viable election system at all. There was a small movement, an election integrity movement um, that I was part of. I did write Fooled Again. I edited a book called Loser Take All, which was a collection of essays on different aspects of the election problem that came out in 2008. And let's just jump ahead to 2020, because I think this will address your question and enable me to, you know, uh, articulate my deep concerns. It seems to me, as someone who has studied previous elections, that the evidence of, of theft, of fraud in 2020, is overwhelming uh, and precise. And I stress this because, as you know, uh, one very sturdy propaganda meme that's always floating around is that there is no evidence of election theft uh, in 2020, and that the people claiming that it was stolen are delusional, demagogic, etc. Well, that that's simply false. Now, the elections that I wrote about a few decades ago uh, were, were won by Republicans. The 2020 election was, was won by the Democrats. It took me a while to figure out, and this is an important point, 
that it really is not the parties that call the shots. Republicans, you know, demonize the Democrats as election theft, uh, thieves, and they have no memory of their own party's history at that kind of thing. And Democrats, uh, you know, are screaming about Trump as Hitler, and he, you know, will um, destroy our great electoral democracy. Um, having read a book called Vote Scam, which I recommend very, very highly to your audience by uh, uh, James Collier and Kenneth Collier, a couple of brothers who self-published this book in the 90s after having spent 20 years trying to get the media to pay attention to the problem of election fraud, which they witnessed firsthand in the early 70s when one of them uh, ran for a house seat in Florida, only to discover that um, it was stolen by or for uh, uh, Claude Pepper, you know, a famous uh, uh, legislator uh, known by his right-wing antagonist as Red Pepper. This goes back to the Cold War. Uh, these guys had absolutely solid slam dunk uh, uh, definitive evidence of theft, theft and fraud in that election. And their book is an account, an often harrowing account of their long attempt to get the media to pay attention to it. And it became ever clearer to them that this was a taboo subject that you um, uh, invoked and tried to deal with at your peril, which told them, and I think this is absolutely true, that ultimately it isn't, it isn't either party that decides the outcome of an election. It is not the party that is better at stealing that, that does this. The outcome of our elections in the United States are really determined by what we call the deep state. Uh, they are determined by the CIA. If you go back and you look at the revelations that, that came out in the mid-70s when Congress finally started to examine the history of, of our intelligence agencies, primarily the CIA and the FBI and the NSA to some extent, uh, one of the things they discovered was that about a third of the CIA's efforts worldwide uh, were um, what they call election work. And what that meant was basically um, manipulating elections all over the world in all kinds of nominal democracies to bring about the outcome that best suited American foreign policy. There is no reason in the world to think that somehow they took a hands-off approach to elections back home. If you want a, a, a dramatic example of how far they're willing to go to abort uh, the outcome of an election when it doesn't go their way, let me just remind everybody of a recent anniversary, November 22nd, uh, with 19, uh, 2023 is the 60th anniversary of a, a, uh, a most dramatic reversal of um, or frustration of the will of the electorate. The assassination of John Kennedy was essentially a coup. It's interesting to note um, that the first time that computers were used to count 
votes in American elections was in the um, 1964 election. This is the first election after Kennedy was killed. Now, Lyndon Johnson was president. He would not have been the people's choice, but he was the military-industrial complex's choice. So um, that's the moment when they started to um, count votes electronically. And it's also the moment when they essentially consigned the task to the American media, the task of vote counting, which few people know. This and other developments after Kennedy's death make clear that they were intent now on making sure that there would never again be a situation in which the will of the electorate would put the wrong guy in office. Now, they had every reason to think Kennedy was not the wrong guy. He was a staunch cold warrior when he ran for president, although he had some notions that were a little concerning to them. I mean, he was a, a, a really defender of uh, national independence movements in Africa, for example. Nevertheless, he, he squeaked by. There is an urban legend that it was stolen for him, and that's actually not, not true. We can get into that if you're interested. But uh, the essential point I'm making, and this is, this is really, I, I can't stress this strongly enough. As long as we continue to approach our politics in a tribal spirit, as long as we identify as members of a particular party first and American citizens second, uh, we're never gonna have a righteous election in this country again. Uh, we haven't really had a president since Kennedy. That is someone who had the gall to approach his job as if he really were uh, you know, elected president of all the people, right? Uh, that was the last time that happened. And, you know, as I say, various steps were taken, including an alteration in the voting system to make sure that this would never happen again. Now, I mentioned to you before that there was an election integrity movement in the early part of the century. We were very, very active for some eight or 10 years. Uh, every two years, we carefully tracked what was happening in polling places nationwide. Uh, I think it was a pretty effective, well, I won't say effective, but it was a dedicated and, and efficient movement. And we all had the same surreal experience every two years. It's an experience that probably more people than ever are now having on a daily basis, which is to know one thing from the evidence of your own senses, and to have the entire media say the opposite. So every election night, we would tune in with all kinds of data about what a disaster that day had been in civic terms. You know, long lines, machines not working, uh, machines uh, yielding, you know, the name of a different candidate than the one you voted for. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that went on. And then we'd watch the news only to be told, as in Orwell's 1984, that there were no problems reported that day, but there were lots of problems reported that day. Now, Democrats were for quite a while the primary, um, uh, let's say, victims, or I should say those voting for the Democratic Party were the primary victims of the scam. But this changed in 2020. Uh, for complicated reasons, which we can get into, it had everything to do with COVID, it seems to me. Uh, 
And now it was the Democrats who um, were elected uh, irrespective of the will of the electorate. This was a golden opportunity to grow the election integrity movement beyond its you know, previous status as um, a seemingly Democrat-connected movement. Now, I was not a Democrat. I hadn't voted Democratic since the early 90s. I was concerned about the outcome of the 2004 election because I believe in American democracy. Uh, I voted for Ralph Nader. But, um, you know, the tragedy we're facing now is that the election integrity movement that I was part of uh, and in which I had many friends and which I thought shared my devotion to American democracy has turned out to be essentially um, a kind of shill for the Democratic Party or the Democratic National Committee. Now they, they see their obligation as, as being uh, not to you know, duly examine all evidence of theft. That's not, they don't see that as their job. They see it as their job to dismiss the claim that there is any evidence so that the election integrity movement is in partnership with the corporate media and often the left media, which has been little better than the corporate press on this issue, uh, in, in denying the overwhelming evidence that, that uh, Biden-Harris weren't actually elected. Now, uh, since COVID, the situation has gotten even worse because of this promiscuous use of mail-in ballots, you know, which works, works successfully in, in Oregon. They had a very solid system there with a lot of safeguards, but as a national uh, practice and a very sloppy practice, uh, it's virtually impossible uh, to be uh, confident that the outcome of the election was legitimate and virtually impossible to uh, do a kind of proper forensic examination. You can't do exit polling when people are mailing in their ballots. So, you know, under the pretext of keeping us safe from the virus, they managed to make the electoral system in this country even worse. I, I want to add, and then I'll, I'll pause, that um, in 2004 and thereafter, America's voting system was deemed the worst in the developed world. There was a, and I think there still is, a, a biannual assessment of voting systems worldwide uh, carried out by uh, researchers at Harvard and the University of Sydney. And they placed American elections last, 26th out of 26, among those whose results were trustworthy. And in 2006, I believe it was, Jimmy Carter, who had his Carter Center, which was all about monitoring election results and election procedures, said on national public radio that the Carter Center would never bother to assess an American election because the American voting system, he said, was so corrupt that it didn't even rise to the minimal level where the Carter Center would bother uh, tracking it. That's pretty dramatic evidence right there 
that what I'm saying is basically true. And there are many, many other signs that democracy is in big trouble uh, in this country and worldwide, uh, particularly under the shadow of a kind of global governance, you know, with which we're always being uh, threatened. Uh, free speech is a dead letter, etc. Freedom of assembly is a dead letter and so on. We could go on and on in this vein. But um, basically what I'm doing here is is pleading for all of those of us who are concerned about this issue to make the um, important effort of trying to transcend uh, our, our party affiliations our fondnesses for particular candidates or our loathing of a particular candidate. Uh, Think of the party second, think of the country first. Uh, Don't think you can save American democracy by getting rid of someone you deem a fascist threat to it. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. For the last couple of months, since his Veterans Day speech, you know, where Trump referred to the left and fascists, weirdly, as vermin that needed to be rooted out, sounding a lot like Hitler. (laughs) Ever since that performance, uh, the the entire press, the Democrats, the CIA comedy desk, you know, people like Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Kimmel, shows like The View, I mean, they're all screaming at the top of their lungs about how we're sliding into a Third Reich type situation. We're clearly being set up for some kind of radical uh, interference with the electoral process. I mean, Robert Kagan, the neocon, even recently, so much has suggested tacitly that somebody assassinate Trump. This is in the pages of the Washington Post where he basically um, used the example of Julius Caesar to hint at the need for some kind of uh, bold step to make sure that you know this figure doesn't threaten our democracy, as if assassinating uh, you know the opposition candidate is not itself a mortal blow to the democratic process. So we're in a very bad place, and I think that really one of the few ways we can overcome this dire situation is to uh, forge alliances, is to um, resist the divide and conquer strategy that the uh, globalists push, just as empires have always pushed that strategy. Uh, Because as long as we're at each other's throats and not at their throats, uh, we're sitting ducks. And everything, everything that's being done to defend our democracy is uh, fundamentally undermining our uh, democratic systems and structures. Mark, that's an important point that you've made there, and I think that bears out in pretty much the you know the totality of the effort to remove Donald Trump from ballots, all sorts of lawfare going on. I want to talk about that after the break, uh, and also on this uh, charge of foreign interference, a trope that is still lingering this year. I thought we'd put that to rest, but apparently not. I'm with Mark Crispin Miller, author and also professor, New York University Propaganda Studies. We're going to talk about election integrity and the reality of it on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. 
The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. Uh, animals haven't eaten in a day, two days. They haven't drank anything. They're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. You know, the country has been in prolonged for drought so long. It was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit, and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going? To fight crime. Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the final segment of the final hour of this live broadcast on Monday. We're discussing the issues that are basically embroiling in the 2024 elections coming up. We're talking about election integrity, election fraud, lawfare. Let's discuss that as well with our guest, Mark Crispin Miller. Uh, from New York University. Joining us on the line right now, Mark has done extensive work on this topic and all the various aspects of it. And yeah, Mark, you know, I have to uh, agree with you and lament at the same time that 2020 was a great opportunity to open up this conversation of election integrity to all sides. And I feel like we've totally missed that opportunity. And the the train is uh, barreling down the tracks as usual. And I am fearful, Mark, of another train wreck uh, in 2024 that might peak around, uh, you know, the end of October and with all sorts of controversies and uh, gaslighting. And you're right, Mark, you know, the country, people have to put the principles ahead of their politics because if we don't guard our principles, then all of these institutions, all of these structures that we've worked so hard as a civilization to, to erect over the years through all of our mistakes and trials and tribulations are all for naught. Uh, if we if we don't put principles ahead of politics. So that's a message I think that really resonates. Now, the, I want to talk about the lawfare against Donald Trump, but also this trope about foreign interference. And I think this is kind of a real a, a gaslighting operation because it, it, it takes away from having to face the actual issue of election integrity at home, which you outlined uh, and all this sort of physical problems that exist and vulnerabilities in the system that can be exploited. But also you discussed the, the overseas beta testing. So ironic that they make such a big deal about forward interference in the United States because there's internet chatter on Facebook or something like this that they think is from Russia, that somehow that's going to bring down our elections when the United States is doing beta tests of actual 
election fraud overseas and has been doing it for decades, in fact. So I think this comes under the general banner of gaslighting. So they're still trying to revive this for 2024, Mark. I've seen it pop up. I don't know if you've observed this as well, but I feel like that might sort of be a factor in 2024, foreign interference, foreign meddling accusations, et cetera. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I'll tell you something interesting about that. Um, some of us in the election integrity movement, uh, even some who had basically succumbed to Trump derangement syndrome, noted in the 2016 election pretty compelling evidence that uh, Trump actually did not win. And and I'm you know this is the kind of thing you say it and a significant portion of your audience you know, their heads explode because mm -hmm. the myth that they cherish is this notion that somehow this bold man of the people uh, managed to get himself elected despite every effort by the deep state to prevent it. Well, I'm, I'm here to assure anyone listening that we're well past the point where it's possible to do that. You know, the system is so thoroughly gamed that um, you cannot win despite what the deep state does to stop you. They want to stop you, they'll stop you. I, I don't want to be too categorical about it. I think it is possible to run a campaign that is so vigilant and so uh, you know, uh, well-staffed with observers and lawyers and so on, and so sophisticated about examining the uh, you know, computerized machinery that you could at least come up with enough evidence of fraud to make a case after the election. So that is possible. But there is fairly compelling evidence that on election night 2016, Trump went home early for a reason. I mean, we know he went home early. We don't need evidence of that because he said he was going home and he went home. The evidence we have suggests that he went home early because he knew from the campaign's own polling that he did not win. And I'll tell you something interesting about that night that nobody knows. This comes from Anthony Scaramucci, who was for about 10 minutes Bush's press spokesman at the beginning. He said that the Trump campaign didn't even have an acceptance speech written. Okay. They were convinced, and all the evidence told me uh, and the polling companies that Hillary had won. Now, that is a thought that makes my blood run cold. I want to be clear about that. Uh, I wouldn't want to see her as president of the United States. But the fact is, uh, there is reason to believe that Trump was selected as, say, Bush Cheney were selected and as Biden was selected. I don't think COVID could have worked as it was intended to work if there were a Democrat in the White House. You know, since one major purpose of that whole catastrophe was to divide the country down the middle and create, um, you know, fertile ground for an eventual civil war, you had to have somebody like Trump standing at the podium playing Punch and Judy with Dr. Fauci. You couldn't have a president standing next to Dr. Fauci who would just nod along with him. See, so I, I don't. I'm sure Trump wasn't party to this. I believe he's probably someone who's easily manipulated because he's so egomaniacal and narcissistic. 
there's no point in speculating about how it was done or whether he knew it. The fact is, there is reason to doubt that he, too, was uh, legitimately elected. Interestingly, and here I'm addressing your question, the Democrats wouldn't wouldn't go near that. They never have gone near that. When we were, you know, working in the early part of the century, try to get the press to focus on the theft of the 2004 election, the Democrats were pointedly uninterested and even hostile to what we were doing, which is very striking. You'd think that the party that got ripped off would be the loudest at complaining over what had happened, but no, the Democrats didn't do that. Because as I say, I think that decision comes down from a higher place, right? So um, uh, it was it was uh, necessary to, uh, I've lost the thread of what I was saying. Can you remind me of what it was? I think we're, we're heading towards uh, foreign interference, I think. Foreign, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Instead of focusing on the likeliest reason why Trump was now president, the Democrats, I believe led initially by Hillary Clinton, were suddenly screaming about Russian interference. <laughs> suddenly Russiagate was a thing. There wasn't a shred of evidence that Russia was involved in our election. Uh, there wasn't a shred of evidence that China was involved in the theft of 2020. There's no need for that because our own intelligence agencies take care of that. They know how to do that and they would be struck if some foreign players jumped in and tried to wrest control of that machinery away from them. That's where the Russiagate thing uh, came from. And it enabled not only a further demonization of Trump, but also uh, fulfilled the neocon wet dream of uh, heating up relations with with Russia again. So that you know these electoral politics um, always play into the foreign policy agenda of of the country, right? It was very important. It is very important to the democratic establishment that they continue to look like they're functioning legally and constitutionally. In this way, as in others, interestingly enough, they recall uh, Adolf Hitler, who made a decision in the early 30s, if not earlier, that the Nazis were going to win legally. They were going to play it legally. They weren't going to have any more you know, beer hall putches or anything like that. And they did. They played it legally. Uh, the Nazi party did very well in the election that immediately followed the false flag operation known as the Reichstag fire, uh, which we revived or the Democrats revived recently uh, with January 6th. Very, very similar operations. Uh, you create um, the illusion of a, a kind of um, near fatal attack on the government and uh, you know an attack on democracy, you create that illusion, and then you you pin the blame on foreign players. You know, uh, Hitler pinned the blame on the communists. Uh, they tried to meet uh, um, uh, this guy Dimitrov, this Bulgarian communist. It was a show trial that went wrong. Goering was supposed to handle it, and Dimitrov kind of took it over and exposed it as a fraud. Was the last time the Nazis tried a show trial. That's more of a Soviet thing. Uh, 
but the point is that um, uh, we we need to pay attention to the status and the preservation of our democratic procedures and democratic rules. And we cannot be distracted from that, you know, adherence to principle by uh, fear-mongering threats uh, that some other country is trying to take us over. You know, the founders understood very clearly that um, monarchy, monarchic authority, uh, poses a, a constant danger to the rights and freedoms of the people because it enables uh, the um, excitation of hysterical fears, usually fears of foreign invasion, fears that another country is trying to take over. It was exactly the same strategy that was used with the virus, right? Panic over the virus made certain, uh, you know, venerated democratic traditions and procedures seem too dangerous. So we couldn't vote in person. It was too dangerous to do that. We had to send in our ballots. It was too dangerous. Uh, it's too dangerous to allow free speech on the internet because there's so much misinformation out there. Much too dangerous. Too dangerous to have trials by jury. That's also in the Constitution. So, you know, now trials are all remote. They're not really trials. With They're not jury trials, in other words. Uh, little by little, uh, you know, and ever more rapidly, we have seen the the dismantling of the democratic superstructure in the name of public safety, you know, whether it's a pathogen that threatens to kill grandma and all the rest of us, or whether it's the orange menace who we're told is uh, exactly like Hitler, that's... Uh, a claim that's just as ludicrous as the claim that Russia decided the 2016 election, but they're all saying it, proving only that they really don't know anything about Hitler or Trump. Uh, you know, I, I could go on and on for an hour on that subject. The fact is, what they're trying to do here is use all these quasi-legal means uh, to eliminate a political rival, you know, not with an assassin's bullet, although Robert Kagan wouldn't mind that, but by taking his name off various ballots, by concocting all these, um, you know, uh, indictments against him so that he's constantly dealing with uh, lawsuits and so on. It, it, it is not only um, an anti-democratic practice, but it also appears to be self-defeating because the more they do this, the more popular Trump seems to become with his, his base, you know. Uh, and if anything, I want to stress this again, it is the Democrats who are functioning like Nazis. I mean, is that such an outrageous thing to say? I mean, after all, this is the party that has been spending millions upon millions of dollars to a government that uses neo-Nazi forces to attack, uh, you know, its own people. I'm talking about East Ukraine. 
and the Azov Battalion, so on. I mean, there is no doubt that uh, the government of Ukraine is comprised of technocrats and unapologetic neo-Nazis, and the Democrats um, favor them and claim that any assertion of Nazi involvement in Ukraine's government is Russian propaganda. Well, that's just one example of the Nazi turn that the anti-fascists of the Democratic Party have taken in pursuit of ridding themselves of Donald Trump because he threatens democracy, right? There's a guy, he was interviewed by Tucker Carlson, who told the story, I forget his name, but he told the story of getting rousted out of bed at dawn by uh, FBI agents and um, taken and indicted for having four years earlier uh, posted against Hillary Clinton on Facebook, okay? Well, this sounds exactly like, you know, a particular law that was passed under the Nazis to make it a criminal offense to criticize the Fuhrer. Yeah, I really don't see the difference, uh, except that, you know, more people knew about that law in Nazi Germany than are aware of what happened with this guy and Hillary Clinton in the United States. You know, um, it really is time to stop pussyfooting around uh, when it comes to the protection of democracy. We desperately need a voting system we can trust. And, and, and it would not be difficult at all, except politically, to do it. Uh, anyone who's interested can go online and look for a 12-step program to save American democracy, which I wrote in 2008. It's also at the back of the book, Loser Take All. There are various steps that could be taken. It would not require any kind of um, constitutional convention. Simple steps that would, uh, you know, get rid of uh, private corporate players in the voting system, that would get rid of uh, computerized vote counting, that would require hand counts of paper ballots. So it would take a few days to know, you know, what the outcome is. The media can't have its scoop within five minutes. We would join the company of many, many countries all around the world all over Europe that continue to hand count paper ballots. Now, I'm not saying that it's impossible to steal an election with a system like that. You can steal an election with any kind of system, but it is much, much easier to steal elections and to cover it up when you have a system like ours that's based on you know, uh, electronic means, digital means, and is managed by private companies. Um, so I, you know, I, I think basically what I'm saying is that we have to resist the siren call of propaganda. We have to resist its fear mongering. I've been observing the media, you know, as a critic and scholar for decades, since the 70s. And I can safely say I have never seen a moment where the entire free press is as mendacious and brazen as, as we're seeing now. You cannot believe a single word any of them say, and that includes most of the so-called left press too. Uh, well, and this is, a global, this is a global problem.
Mark Crispin Miller, uh, I couldn't agree with you more, and that is not hyperbolic at all. In fact, you might even be treating it lightly, the size of this problem. But thank you very much for joining us on TNT this week. Mark Crispin Miller, author, researcher, professor at New York University. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Important conversation about election integrity, about saving our democracy, but in the real sense, folks. Thank you.